Hey everyone, welcome back to Speaking to Stacy. Let me do my medical disclaimer to begin with. I have created this podcast and website, including any references, links, or other knowledge resources for informational purposes only. I do not provide any medical or professional advice on the website and podcast. Anything said should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. If you take any action or inaction as a result of any of the content you consume on the website and podcast, this is based solely on your decision, and I cannot be held liable for any of the consequences of such action or inaction. Right, with that important information out the way, let me introduce my guest. Today I had the lovely opportunity of speaking to Natalie Detoy. Natalie is most well known for achievements at the 2004 Paralympic Games and the Commonwealth Games. She also competed at the 2008 Olympics in Beijing against able-bodied athletes, which is a truly incredible feat in my view. We spoke about various things, including her background, the unfortunate accident that led to her leg being amputated, her achievements as a swimmer, and whether or not she was ready to retire from swimming. This conversation was extremely deep and interesting for me, and I hope that you find some value in it. Without further ado, here's Natalie DeToy. Okay, so welcome Natalie, welcome to the podcast, and Natalie and I were talking offline beforehand, so we've got to know each other a bit, and I can't wait for everyone to hear what she has to say. I think it's going to be a really, really interesting and amazing conversation. Um, Natalie, I think... Maybe we can start off with a bit of your background. For those of you who've been living under a rock, you maybe haven't heard of Natalie's story. And so maybe, Natalie, we can start off with who you are and your background in swimming, where you found the passion to be a swimmer, professional swimmer. And then we can just kick it off from there and find, find out where the conversation takes us. 100%. And I, I think thanks, Stacey, for allowing me to be on your podcast. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's a great opportunity and, and I think just a great initiative, you know. Um, I think that's where life is going at the moment. So just excited to be here um, and, and sharing my story. So I, I am a, a former Olympic and Paralympic swimmer, um, trying to find my feet in the communications and digital marketing space currently. Um, but yes, I, I think I was a, a young girl. Um, I grew up in, in our days, we would call it a middle class family. Um, my dad being a boilermaker, my mom um, looked after some kids at after school, um, at a school. And I think, you know, going to the same school that my mom was at the aftercare at. Um, and I just, my, my brother was kind of the sports person. Um, and, you know, he played the rugby and the cricket and did the water polo thing and the swimming thing. And I was the younger sister, so he's three years older than me. Okay. And with sport, it was, um, I used to go and uh, sit on the side of the field and watch him play rugby or, you know, sit in the waiting room at the swimming pool. Um, as I said, I, I a wealthy family. So when my mom would drive, um, you know, my brother to sport, it, we, there wasn't really enough to drive home and come back again, etc. Okay. So we would sit and just watch, watch him swim. 
Um, and yeah, I think I was petrified of water. And one day, it was just before I turned six, I said to my mom, I can swim. And, um, you know, she gave me the opportunity and she went up to my brother's coach and she said, you know, my daughter would like to see if she can swim. And the coach put me in the swimming pool. Um, I'm not sure how much above the water I swam, but um, I believe that the first stroke I could do was butterfly. And I think I just took to the sport. I just took to swimming and I loved it. And I think that's where my career in swimming started. Um, Yeah, I guess maybe if I can just share a little bit about the type of person that that maybe I I was or I am. Um, In swimming, I, I was young and... I would, you know, swim in 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 those days, um, and I'm going back into the 1990s. Um, I we would the we good would old have days. a competition. The good old days, absolutely. <laughs> so, so we would have a competition um, once a month um, at the Newland Swimming Pool in Cape Town. And for for those listeners, um, Newland Swimming Pool is a 50 meter outdoor swimming pool. It's set um, in front of Table Mountain. Um, so really beautiful. Um, the water's freezing, generally in winter. Um, in summer, it's quite cold as well. Um, and for many years, we would be training there. We would compete there. It doesn't matter if the southeasterly wind was gushing through there. Um, you know, whatever was happening in the sun and the rain, whatever it was, um, you know, we would compete there. And I was the athlete that I didn't like to just um sit around so I wouldn't just in one race I wanted to keep busy otherwise I kind of got bored um <laughs> so I used to enter every race and I guess fortunately I could pretty much swim the st- different strokes as well so very fortunate with that awesome. um and yes and, and I guess that's how my love for for swimming started okay wow all right so a couple of things that I picked up on there so you said you started swimming when you were six Yes, just just before I turned six, um, I think there was like the switch in me that went from absolutely being petrified of water to swimming. Um, let's just say the switch didn't just switch because uh, the same very same Newland swimming pool, um, it used to have a lot of algae on the bottom of the swimming pool. I used to be petrified of it. So okay. um, I, I refused to swim on my stomach. <laughs> okay, that's... So the environment as well didn't make it didn't make it the most appealing if the pool's dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. My mom loves telling me the story of when I was young. Um, I must have been about eight years old, and I had to swim. It was um, hundred meter backstroke, so two lengths backstroke of the swimming pool, and um, I got down through the fifty meters and turned on my stomach to do a tumble turn. And when I turned on my stomach, I saw the algae and I swallowed water and I stopped there and then. Um, oh, no. <laughs> and when, when they got me out of the pool, my mom was like, but you were winning. And I was like, no, but there's algae in the bottom of the pool and I don't like it. And my coach had my arms up that I was poking. And so there's, there's a number of those stories, which can be quite funny. Classic. <laughs> I, had a, yeah, I had a very embarrassing story. I don't know if I've actually ever told this story Outside of my family, I had a very embarrassing story when I was, I think, seven or eight. I was at a karate tournament and I was nervous and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where the bathrooms were. So, as a stupid kid, I literally just wet myself, not not completely, a little like puddle. 
And then I realized, oh God, what have I done? And then I ran to my mom and she was so upset with me. And I had to like withdraw from all the, the things I'd entered in because I'd ruined my gi. <laughs> so I. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that is, that is, that was my first and last karate tournament because I think after that I was just way too embarrassed and terrified to go back. So maybe, yeah, it's not, not quite the same, not a fear of algae, but I. I think I got so nervous because it was my first time ever competing and I literally spoiled, spoiled the chance. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think, I think it's a, you know, a good, you know, a good time to, I think, you know, what happens to us when we're young and, you know, I hear a lot of psychologists etc. say that often what happens when you're certain ages comes out later, you know? And I think sometimes, um, like in swimming, I, I would just get in a pool and swim. Um, you okay. know, you have a lot of people talking about you, a lot of things, you know, saying that, you know, my parents are pushing me or whatever else. Um, but I think those are also patches that one can, can either stumble you um, and make you stop or, you know, challenge you um, or you overcome it as well. Um, yes. And I think sometimes it's really good to always, um, you know, I have a little niece and a little nephew and, you know, when they do something wrong, it's to say that, you know, why have you done it? And for them to understand so that they get over it as well. Yes. Um, you know, it's not always the end of the world. Um, yes. You know, you weren't 20 when you did it, for example. So yes. I think a lot of the time that's also, you know, opportunities to learn and opportunities to grow, um, especially yeah. when for when you are older. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you, you share your story and I think it's an important one because, you know, you probably keep that for you for the rest of your life. Yeah, um, definitely. And, and not only the embar- maybe the embarrassing part of it, but also how you get over challenges. Yes. Um, yeah, so I think with me it was, okay, well, you know, get up onto the starting block and, and start another race. And I would say to my coach, I don't actually want to swim this. And she said, well, you don't have to. I said, no, but I have to. You know, um, I have no idea why, but, um, you know, the gun goes off and you dive in and you swim. Um, awesome. And I think it's important to get over those challenges in life. Um, and no matter what age you are. Yeah, definitely. And I think what is interesting for me in that experience, the only thing I really remember, I don't really remember the details of the hall or anything like that. I just remember mostly the emotions. And I remember very specifically that I wasn't actually worried about what other people thought of me, I was concerned about what my mom was going to say. Was she going to be disappointed? That was my main concern. And my mom was a little bit, I think, shocked and upset. But then when we got in the car to go home, she was very, very cool about it. So, yeah, it made it a lot easier. Stacy, I cut out quite, quite um, for like 30 seconds. Okay, no problem. I just um, spoke about the the problem. My main problem was actually dealing with the concern of my mom. So I wasn't emotionally, I was, the only thing I really remember was just worrying about how she'd respond. And initially she was a bit shocked and upset. And then once she calmed down and we we're driving home, she was a lot more sort of nurturing and caring and saying, oh, you know what, it doesn't really matter. Don't worry about it. Absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, even even with that, you would have probably, um, you know, you've got kids. So, you know, those things you'll be reminded of and you make sure that, you know, if, if your kids had to go through something, you'd probably handle it slightly differently. Yeah. Um, and I think those are all learning curves in life. Um, yeah. 
you know, sometimes there are bigger things that, um, you know, are a lot worse. Um, yes. and, and sometimes things that are smaller. And, you know, you've always got to choose your battles. Um, you know, what is more important, what is less important. But I think that's something that you probably learned was that even though it could be so big, it, at the end of the day, it's also not so big. You yeah. Know? Once you're able to step back from those things, I think even the big things, to be honest, I've learned, I've had some pretty big heartbreaks and uh, loss of my mom and things like that. But as tough as those big things are, I think you have to be able to step back and look at it from the big picture. Number one, and find the, find the good in it. Try and look for the good in it. Try and look for the lesson in something. And then also just to realize that at the end of the day, I think as as human beings, I think we sometimes over analyze it when it's us and we we get caught in these small little problems that actually at the end of your life you'll look back and think to yourself well it didn't really matter too much i think it's important to to keep that in mind absolutely but you know i think you touched touched on it and the beauty about it is is when you're in the moment it feels like the end of the world and the minute you step back and the minute time lapses, you realize it's not as big as you thought it was. And those are all triggers or lessons that one can learn. Um, you know, being a swimmer and achieving goals or not achieving goals. Um, there are many patches where you don't achieve what it is you want to achieve. And I think those are often the learning curves because you in that moment you think it's the worst ever that I had didn't qualify for the Olympics at the age of uh you know 16 um and then you have the coach that says to you but you know there's always another four years and at 20 you're still young to go to the Olympics yes. at 24 you're still young to go to the Olympics um and it's learning how to come back from that that teaches you the lessons and you know I I believe that not everybody can do it um but it is a it is a uh what would you call it a um, it's a journey that one goes on. Um, yes. You know, when I remember um, I was 12. Um, I missed my, no, I was 14 when I missed my race at Commonwealth Games. And I was the talk of South Africa um, okay. in a negative way. Um, yeah. Because everybody kept saying, was I in the bathroom? Where was I? What was I doing? And in actual fact, I was just in a warm-up pool and I was busy warming up for my race. Um and I think with that, you know, I learned that it would take me a while to come through that and come back to South Africa and train. And it took me a while to enjoy the sport of swimming again. It took me a while to to believe that I could still swim, um, that okay. I was still worthy of swimming, that I could still possibly get to the Olympics and achieve my dream of going to the Olympics. But it took a while. And for okay. me, it actually took more than a year to to come around. But as life goes on and you go through more challenges and it doesn't matter how small or how big they are, you realize if I can overcome it once, I, there's a, a strong possibility that I can overcome it again. Definitely. And, you know, it's, it's just a matter of time. And each time something challenging happens, it's how quickly can I get over it? Um, yeah. But it's also to allow yourself that chance of, I really don't like myself right now. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. I cry every night. Um, and it's allowing that. And then every morning waking up and saying, right, I'm going to, you know, get through this. I'm going to do, I'm going to do it better today. And yes. that might take you a while. 
but yeah. as long as you come through on the other side. Yeah, that's true. And I think yeah, it's important that, I think you touched on something very important. There. It's important to be critical of oneself because I think through the critical process, that's how you get better. But it's also important to not be too hard on yourself that you can't actually bounce back. And you've got to give yourself a little bit of kindness and love sometimes. I think it's important not to go over the top. Um, and especially when the pressure's on, I guess it's even harder when the pressure's on when you are expected to get to get gold medals or to win races in your in your situation. So, yeah, it's a fine balance there, I think. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I've jumped from, you know, starting swimming to being 14 and going to the Commonwealth Games. But, you know, in between that period, I had what you would call a junior coach. And she would be the type of coach that would, you know, um, make sure that your stroke is good constantly remind you that your stroke needs to be a certain way um you know and i think from that perspective i also train very little compared to um you know what what athletes are, are currently doing and okay. so i think from a young age you know that nurturing type of coach is what i had when i was 14 i moved to a senior coach and i went from training one hour five times a week to training three hours uh three times a week um, two intense. hours twice a week um, so yes it was it was for me it was a massive step up in training but not just that it was also more a senior coach a male coach who believed in doing long hours and hard training and he was I guess quite hard on on me as an athlete um, and, and on all of us as a squad um, and you know, there were times that I just wondered why he was so hard on us. And, you know, when I retired from sport at the age of 28, um, it took me about two years and I messaged the coach and I said to him, you know, you didn't have to be so hard on us. Why were you so hard on us? And he said, I needed to be so that you could achieve, you know, the best that you could achieve. Um, and I just thought, you know, we, we, I was so hard on myself as it is. Um, there were many days that I came home from training crying because I couldn't understand why the coach would shout at me, um, you know, and it was for strange things, not really for sport, but, you know, going to the bathroom and wetting the bathroom when, you know, <laughs> I hadn't even gone to the bathroom, for example. But that was just, I think the, he just believed that he needed to be hard on us and be tough on us. Um, and as you rightly said, you know, it's how you bounce back from it. As an individual, you're either hard on yourself um, you also know that the team around you is quite hard on you. So you have to have those people that are also soft on you um, yeah. and are the nurturing type. And I think that's something that's been really positive throughout my life in that, um, you know, as much as I've been hard on myself and there's been people hard on myself, I, I was fortunate to have family coaches, um, my manager who at the time that I was really hard on myself and, and, you know, didn't believe I could do it, they believed that I would be able to do it. And I think that's important to find people in your life that are, are tough on you, but also that, you know, people that are, are there and are positive when you're not so positive. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it would go to the ends of the earth to help you as well. Um, so throughout my life, I've learned that, you know, you, as much as you need some, someone that's really tough on you, there's, you also need someone who will hold your hand through it um, and, and be that positive force too. Yeah. 
That's very interesting that you say that because I reflect back on my sports. I mean, look, I didn't represent South Africa or anything like that, but I played a lot of rugby, especially at high school and at varsity until I got a really bad knee injury and I decided to stop. But um, my two favorite teams that I played for, one was at university, I played for the under-20 B side, and the other one was at the at Bishops at high school. I played for the first side in post-matric and I never actually thought of it this way but now that you've mentioned it it made me think about the coaches that I had and in both those teams they were run by a head coach and an assistant coach and in both those teams the head coach was sort of the more hardcore type quite hard on us but pushing us to be our best and the assistant was the more nurturing the one to put the arm around the shoulder if something went went wrong or if something if something bad happened and just you know say don't worry you got this we back you we trust you and i mean i'm not sure if that was done on purpose if it was a good cop bad cop thing but that balance just made the team perform to a higher level in my opinion i just always felt that the that the balance like that was was very very healthy for for a winning environment Absolutely. And I think, you know, to have a mixture of it is also important. You know, you can't have the person who, who will give you away all the time. Um, no, no. <laughs> so you need that, that, that person as hard as well. Um, yes. And I think, you know, I think that's, I was fortunate again with my family who, you know, they, they, I can say didn't really take sides. I think it was more, you know, this has happened. What, what are we going to do about it? Um, and I think that's kind of in, in swimming in, in particular, um, you know, when you don't qualify for the Olympics, for example, when I was 16 years old and it felt like my earth had come crashing, you know, down around me. Um, and, you know, you train four years to, to qualify for an Olympic Games. To miss it by 0.03 of a second is, it's not the easiest thing to accept. Um, wow. And I think, you know, from there it's, do I really want to go through all of this? Um, and it's to have the people saying, you can if you really want to. Um, you know, it's not the end of the world. We just have to, what are we going to do? Work harder? You know, what, what is it that we can do? Um, and I think that's, that's often, it's, it's looking to the, the future for, um, uh, not results, what would you call it? Um, solutions. Um, okay. Looking for solutions rather than you didn't qualify. Um, yes. And I think that's kind of how I like to live my life. And sometimes it does stand me in, in not such good stead because, you know, it's like, stop complaining. It's, what is the solution? How can we get through this? What can we get through? Um, a lot of people will call that competitive. Um, and at the end of the day, for me, it wasn't really about the, being competitive. It was competitive with myself. Um, but, you know, how can we get there? How can we achieve what we want to achieve? Um, and yeah, I think, you know, even though I was in a sport that a lot of, a lot of people deem to be an individual sport, um, swimming, I found it to be very much a team sport, um, you know, training and in the last few years of my career, I was training eight hours a day Jeez. and, you know, you're pretty much in the water with your training partners all the time and you're pushing each other um doing different sets doing things that you're not good at but they're good at and vice versa 
you know, it's it becomes that team training, that team sport at the end of the day. So, um, you know, team is important. And I always say that there's no ways that you can achieve anything on your own. It's always about the people around you and about the people that, you know, are there um, to support you, push you, um, you know, be the good cop, be the bad cop. Um, and I think throughout life, I was just fortunate that I had that. And only, you know, many years later, when I was a little older, did you, did I realize that I was very fortunate to have that? Um, And I think for me, it's to try and be that for some others um, nowadays. So, for example, for the Lawyer Sports for Good Foundation, and we go around to different projects and, you know, the kids are playing sport to to get through the challenges at home or in the areas, um, you know, be it um gangsterism be it drugs be it whatever it is um i think the important thing is to to try and give back in ways that i had been given um without them really realizing it too much but using the tool of sport um to drive change perfect so yeah so life is i mean life can be beautiful yeah definitely i think geez that oh that's so true i mean i'm just thinking about all the positives that sport has afforded me. And that's partly why I wanted to do, actually have this podcast is to share my experiences, to speak to interesting people that have had interesting experiences and to try and, you know, open up people to the opportunities that sport has, not just only in sport, but the other effects that it has on people and obviously your work with, with the, what did you say, the Laureus Foundation? Yes. Okay. So they that's obviously also linked to the Laureus Sports Awards, I'm assuming. Absolutely. So the Laureus okay. Sports Awards actually is the, um, is the awards where they get um, funds um, and the funds go into the different projects. Okay. Awesome. Okay. That makes sense. I wanted to quickly rewind because – a couple of times you brought up family and parents and things like that. So just from my side, just for comparison, I grew up playing a lot of cricket as a youngster. I don't remember when I first picked up a cricket bat, but apparently it was before I started forming memories because I don't, as I said, I don't remember that. So my dad was quite hardcore. He pushed me quite hard with cricket. And I just wanted to know, did you have any sort of push from your folks or were they quite hands-off? Well, I think um, it's it's quite a challenging one to, to explain. I think um, my dad traveled to Antarctica for wow. um, every year, basically um, between three and six months of the year. Um, so when he was back in South Africa, um, he used to do quite a bit of the sports with my brother. Um and so, for example, my brother had a, a rugby game. He would be on the side of the field. Um, and, you know, I think when it came to swimming, my mom was more with me. Um, but, you know, saying that both my parents sort of, um, you know, they worked. So I would cycle to training um, many times. Uh, and so, for example, on a Saturday, I would train and then I would cycle to the rugby field and then I would catch a lift with my mom and dad back home and put the okay. bike in the boot. Um, I think as a, as a swimmer, um, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, okay. And my parents were really 
really positive in that they would allow me to do it. Okay. So maybe I can give a slightly different example. Um, I went to school at Weinberg Girls High School and um, I got a scholarship in primary school halfway through grade five. Um, and then in grade 10, we heard that a school like Redden House was opening up in Takai and this was going to be a sports school and, you know, my coach was going to be head coach. And so a teacher helped me write um, a, uh, what would you call it, a motivation and as to why I wanted to go to Redham and why I was looking for a scholarship at Redham House. And I faxed that through to the to Redham House. Um, and they called my mom up and said that I needed to come and do an entrance test. And so I actually hadn't said anything to my mom about it. <laughs> and she got this call. <laughs> I, you know, my, my mom in true fashion said, okay, well, on Saturday morning, we drive to the waterfront um, um, here in, in Cape Town. And I had to go and write an entrance test. And, you know, with that, I was able to get a scholarship, um, not a full scholarship. I got an 80% um, academic scholarship. And okay. my mom just said, look, unfortunately, we still can't afford the fees. Um, you know, currently you're on school um, on a scholarship. And then I went back to the school and said, look, I'm, I apologize. I, I can't come on the 80%. And then they said, okay, well, they'll give me a 50% sports scholarship and a 50% academic scholarship. Um, and so I was fortunate to be able to go to Redham. So okay. I just thought I'd share a little bit about, I think, how my parents really worked with me. Um, okay. And so a lot of the time it was a lot of pressure for me, but my, you know, my mom would be there and say, oh, you need to swim faster, come on. You know, you can qualify, you can ABC. Okay. Um, so I think there was a healthy balance of, okay. of pushing and, and not pushing. So um, not, but not like not nothing overbearing. Not to the point where you, you just wish that they would would stop. Nothing like that. No, um, okay. not at all. You know, um, and and maybe I can go a little bit into my into my history in that. Um, you know, I I went to Redham um, from grade eleven, and in grade twelve I was involved in a motorbike accident. And I lost my leg, so I'm a through knee amputee. Um, and that particular morning, I had I had actually a test, a biology test that I needed to study for. And I said to my mom, you know, I haven't studied enough, and I'm tired. And I, um, you know, I was one of those school kids that studied the night before. <laughs> and um, <laughs> with that, my mom said, "Well, why don't you get back into bed?" And I said, no, I, you know, I'm dressed and it was five, you know, four o'clock in the morning, training started at five. Um, and I said, you know, I'm dressed and I got on my, my scooter um, and I went to training. And that exact morning on my way from training to school, I was involved in a motorbike accident. So, wow. um, you know, it was a freak accident where a car went through a short, took a shortcut through a parking lot and pulled out and drove into me. Um, so it was a, a side-on collision, basically, and and with that, my leg took the brunt um, of everything because it was a semi-automatic bike. So you sit with your legs on the side and you change gears. Okay. Um, and yeah, so I was involved in a in a motorbike accident, um, and obviously that changes life completely. But yes, I think you know she was also that parent that would say, "But you know, you're exhausted, and school's important." Okay. Um, so rather, you know, stay back, rest a bit, study a little bit more so that you can do well at your test. Okay. 
Very, very interesting. So going on to that, I guess it's a perfect time to talk about the accident. The the comeback from that accident, I mean, for you, did you find it extremely difficult? Was it difficult to get the motivation to get back into the pool or was that one of the more of the easier things to get back into swimming? What 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 was more challenging? Was it more challenging sort of to come overcome you know the challenge of having to walk again or what did you find most difficult from that situation? So sure, it's it's quite a time in my life. I mean, I'm I'm going back probably about 18 years now. So okay. um it is it is a time in my life that you know in the trick I was still just swimming pool races um, and, you know, being training four hours a day at that stage um, and being at school and, you know, playing water polo and doing crazy, all the sports at school. And um, I had stopped music by that stage because I was doing music at school as, as a subject as well. Um, but other than that, I think when I had had my accident, um, I, I remember being hit and landing in the road and, being in a lot of pain. Um, the minute the ambulance kind of got there, I don't remember much. Okay. Um, and I believe I was in hospital for a week. Um, obviously, it had been a week when I when I got out. But um, when the doctors heard that I was an athlete, um, they tried to save my leg. All right. And there was a whole lot of doctors involved around the table, I believe. Um, they were going to take out some bone out of my hip and muscle up my back and insert it in the bottom half of my leg to see if it would grow. But there was, I think, a 30% chance that it would take. Um, and the leg would always look deformed, etc. cetera. Um, so just to, I, I, you know, I hope your listeners can, can ha- stomach this. Um, it's not too graphic, but um, my leg had burst. So, wow. um, you know, the bone was shattered, but there was also no skin and meat to actually kind of sew it together. So I had an open wound for, for a week. Um, And with that, I had 24 units of blood that went through me and my, my legs started going gangrene. So the decision was to then amputate. Um, And they amputated at the lowest part possible. Um, And it's an interesting amputation. You know, it's, it's a through knee. So it kind of looks like the end of a chicken bone. Um, (laughs) And I don't actually have any muscle in the top half of my leg because it's not attached to anything. So I can't really work it. So it's, it's a little flabby. But other than that, um, you know, I remember waking up and saying to my mom, when am I going in? And she said to me, you've already been. And, okay. and with that, it was um, a week that I was still in the hospital. Um, obviously, I, I had a lot of painkillers and they pulled out my, my drip um, so I had nothing from the day after my amputation. Um, and so I had temperature fluctuations that had to first um, settle before they would discharge me. And then I went back to school straight away. Okay. Um, I fell asleep in classes, which wasn't the best. Um, but I kind of got back to life as soon as I could. Um, okay. I, I couldn't get back into a swimming pool because I had too many wounds that were still um, not healed. So... I broke the top half of my leg um, in three places too, um, of which my femur actually popped through the skin. So I had a massive skin graft that was busy healing on on the top. Um, And 
I, I obviously I couldn't get back into the pool, but everybody's belief was, you know, get back to life as soon as you can. Um, I had physio sessions and um, I know my physio said that I, I was progressing quickly. Um, he would take me kayaking to, you know, learn my balance. Um, okay. He would make me cycle um, and do crazy exercises. But one fundamental thing that I learned um, in that period was how to walk properly and walk properly meaning because I don't have the same weight. I had to learn to keep my hip up and ah, so you don't limp. And okay. I think the focus was placed on certain of those items and certain things like that. So ultimately life just, life just flew by. Um, okay. It was quite a number of months before I could swim again. Um, I think it was three or, or six months before I could swim again. And even then, getting back into a pool, I was really nervous because I had a lot of scars and I was scared, you know, to <laughs> to not make others feel, um, you know, my neck didn't look the best. So I didn't want to make them feel sick or, um, you know, I used to try and cover up all my scars. Um, and when I got into the pool, it was, my stump was really sensitive, but it kind of felt like my leg was still there. Um, so it it was like normal it kind of felt normal um and and to this day you know i'm extremely grateful that i got into the pool as soon as i did i got onto a prosthetic leg as soon as i did um you know before my prosthetic leg i actually learned to walk on a hard table um and i think the physio just did really amazing things so that it was almost like there was no time that went by um so my brain still felt like my leg was there and so okay. I kind of got back into things quite soon um, and I could get on with them. Um, the question of, you know, swimming, the question of school, the question of life, it never really occurred. It was, okay, let's get into it. If we can't, we can't. If we can, we can. Um, let's just try. And I think that was really special and something that, you know, that I will remember for my whole entire life. Um when I was in, in hospital, my parents had a few disabled people come and visit me. And I remember 99% of them telling me that they wished that their accident hadn't happened. There was one gentleman, I remember he was a tall gentleman, and he walked in and I didn't see any disabilities. And he sat down and he told me about, you know, he's running this marathon, but his foot was so sore. Um, and, you know, his shoes didn't fit properly and it blisters and... You know, and I thought, wow, you know, that's just a normal running thing. <laughs> and then he took his shoe off and he was missing the front half of his foot. Oh, wow. And and then you kind of click and you think, sure. Um, you know, I guess everybody has challenges in life, but he's got half missing half his foot and your balance is off and, you know, the fitting is not great. And um, I think years after that did I actually realize that missing half my leg was probably very similar to missing half your foot so it really doesn't matter what your disability is because ultimately you're all going to go through challenges um doesn't matter what you're going to face you're going to go through challenges and it's about how you get through those challenges so I was just fortunate that everyone around me was so positive um yeah and getting back into the pool it was okay what can we do breaststroke was terrible I swam into someone in my lane and, and they had a cut under their eye um, and needed stitches. And, you know, I just swam very skew <laughs> because I didn't have the weight on the one side. Um, 
And those were lessons that I had to learn, go through, but it was going through it at that time. And there was no question that I could or I couldn't. It was right. Let's try. Let's, let's go. Okay. And yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm very grateful for that. That's your so much powerful information there. It's amazing. Um, I just wanted to, I mean, I don't definitely don't want to compare things here, but just something that you said just related to me in such a deep way. You talked about sort of how you got back to life as normal, as quickly as you could. Um, so three years ago when my mom passed away, it was a very big event in my life because it wasn't expected. It was out of nowhere. And it was very strange because everyone was telling me to just, you know, take the time, grieve and all that stuff. And I felt like I was grieving and I was doing that side of things well. But for some strange reason, it just really felt as if I needed to get my routines back in place. So I, I wanted to continue going to gym. I wanted to actually continue going to work. And I don't know. I know it's not quite the same thing. But I wonder if it's if it's everybody that can do that or if it's something in our personalities where routine helps stabilize an other, otherwise unstable situation. Because if I'd, if I'd stopped and slowed down and sort of done what my boss had said and taken five days off work and chilled at home, I think I would have gone crazy because I would have been overthinking, over-processing all the emotions that I was going through. I, I almost needed all the other things that I was normal, that were normal to me. You know, I think, I mean, first of all, I mean, condolences. And, and I think it's never, it's never easy to lose a parent or to lose anyone for that matter. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of listeners have been through challenging moments, um, yeah. you know, where family has fallen ill, um, suddenly, not suddenly, etc. And it's not, something that's not nice, you know, yeah. I, 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 I mean, I'm, I've had my accident in, in 2001. So we're sitting in 2022 and it's a number of years later, um, you know, 21 years. Am I, am I correct? 21? No. Yeah. 21 yes. years later. Um, so I'm like 21 years old. <laughs> no, but um, I think ultimately, you know, we're all different. And a lot of people say that you need to cry and you need to, you know, go through those days. And I think in life, it's about how do you cope? Um, I, I must admit that I didn't go through a stage myself where, you know, I wished, you know, I cried about my leg because I kind of just got up and went on um, okay. and found ways to do things. And I think, I mean, for you as well, I'm sure that, you know, doing what you did was your way of coping because it didn't yeah. mean that you didn't cry. It didn't mean that you don't miss your mom. It didn't mean that, you know, anything different to how someone else might handle it. I think yeah. it is using the ways that you know you can cope, um, be it exercise, yes. um, you know, exercise bringing down, exercise gives off um, endorphins. And yes. sometimes it's those endorphins that you need to counteract something that's negative. Um, yeah. You know, when I left left sport, I had to find something that gave me the same satisfaction because otherwise, yeah. you kind of you you're nothing. Um, and I think that's you know, I believe that not everybody can do that. Um, and you know, everybody believes that these stages that you go through. Um, 
But again, if I had to look at my leg, I don't think there's a day that I wake up that I don't have to realize that I have to put on a leg. I have to realize that it's a new day that I I either think negatively or positively. And I think that's that's the important part is that when you wake up, you realize something has happened. You can't change it. Yes. And the best that you can do is make the best for you. And yes. it doesn't get rid of how you felt, what you felt, etc. And um, I'm sure for you, you wake up every day remembering your mom and wishing sometimes that, you know, she was there to see your kids, what they're doing, to see you, to see, you know, your wife, your family, etc. Um, there's days I wake up and I think, oh, if I only have my leg, I could just run up the road, you know. Um, I, I can tell you a funny story. Um, I've moved to a remote area that has quite a bit of a few snakes and I'm petrified of snakes because I have no idea how to handle them and taking, I have three dogs taking them for a walk around the block and uh, we have passed something and my mom jokingly said, you know, it looked like a twig and my mom just jokingly said, you know, Oh, here's a snake. And we carried on walking. But with that moment, my dog went around and literally grabbed and as he grabbed it, it was a snake. And the snake literally bit him on his tongue. And you could you could see a little bit of the poison, etc. But nevertheless, in that moment, I realized I cannot run. <laughs> and none <laughs> of us had phones on us. So my mom was obviously like a lot older than me. And all I could say was, Mom, run. <laughs> Go and tell my dad so that he could bring the car so we could get the dog to the vet. And get him some anti-venom and and and. Um, and I think, you know, those are moments that you that you realize that you don't have it. Um, and I think, you know, those are some challenging times because at the end of the day, you know, my, my dog survived, but it, he couldn't have, he might not have, let's put it yes. that way. And then yeah. I couldn't get him there quick enough yeah. um, because I couldn't run because I couldn't do things. So is that in a very roundabout way, Yes, sorry. No, no, sorry. You continue in a roundabout way? In a roundabout way, I think it's it's those moments that make you miss it the most. Um, okay. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you go through similar, you know, when, yes. when things happen or when you just want to share something or, um, you know, those are the moments that, you know, that you miss it the most or you'll miss your mom the most, you know? Yes. Um, and... Often it's, it's, I had to really think I can't run and who's going to get there quicker and how are we <laughs> going to get there quicker? Um, you know, what's going to happen? Uh, so, yeah, I think it is challenging and not everybody can just get over it. Um, but I also believe that you don't just get over it. You choose yeah. every day to live the way that you live and to make the decisions you make. Um, and, and that's okay. Um, you're not just going to wake up today and think, oh, I'm over it. You, 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 you don't get that. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. And just going back to the whole running situation, is is that unique to you because of the kind of amputee that you are? Is it is it because of lacking the muscle that you can't run? B because, I mean, obviously someone like Oscar Pistorius, he can clearly run. So is it just is it your unique injury that, that limits you from being able to run? So... <laughs> I think the word unique is, is the important one there, but um, I, I am a 3 amputee, so yes, I don't have muscle, and I didn't know if I could run or not. Um, okay. And throughout my, my disability, 
um, I have my everyday prosthesis, um, but then I also had a prosthesis that I could go into water with. Um, and it was sort of structurally made by my prosthetist. Um, and so in South Africa, when you have an accident, um, there's something that we call the road accident fund. Um, so every time you put in petrol or diesel into your car, certain um, a few cents goes into this fund. So that if there's any accidents that happen um, that aren't your fault, um, you kind of get paid out by the road accident fund. And there are different ways in which they pay out, um, one of them being prosthetics. And um, I, my everyday prosthesis, I tend to, well, I'm told I'm quite heavy on it. Now, I'm a heavy girl, don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know, prosthetics are kind of made for different weights. And, and with that, I tend to get oil leaks. So, you know, one of the seals will break and the, I'll get these oil leaks and the knee doesn't work. So I had, I went through quite a number of legs. And with that, you know, they don't allow you to, to claim for too much at a specific point in time. Um, so I was unfortunate to really have a running leg or know if I could run because I would get the water leg and, you know, my everyday prosthesis was changed quite often. Okay. Um, you know, going into that, you have to have refits. If you lose weight, if you put on weight, you've got liners um, that protect your leg between your prosthesis and your own leg. So there's a lot of small things that go into it. Um, I actually, for the very first time, got a running leg last year. And I tried one first to see if it was possible. And I was able to, to run around the block. Um, and so I actually have a running prosthesis now. So it's a little blade. Um, it's nothing like what Oscar ran with, but um, I actually struggled to use one, for example, that Oscar would use because I don't have the muscle. And okay. you need quite a bit of um, movement to be or muscle to be able to to make it spring okay Makes and, I sense. Did, and i don't have that so my it's a slightly different shape and um you, you place it slightly differently um but saying that oscar's also below knees yes so yes. um yeah so so he would have the muscle and and he would only have a foot so mine actually has a knee joint as well um okay. saying that as well i have if i put a knee joint on i have one and a half knees so my knee bends quite low down, which means that I also can't put a lot of specific feet on it. And I think there's only one or two different types of feet for what we call through knee amputees. Oh, um, right. So, yes, yeah, so, so it's a little more complicated. Yes, it does sound I, extremely complicated. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, I started running for the first time at the end of last year. And I think what was really cool and special is that I could... I could go a little faster than just a walking pace. Nice. Um, again, it's also a challenge because if you don't have the prosthesis on, you can't really run. So, for example, if what happened to my dog, I didn't have a running prosthesis on, I wouldn't have been able to run anyway. Um, okay. So I guess that's where a leg is really special because you don't need a different one for different things yes. that you do, right? Yes, I saw, yeah. I actually saw a guy, he was in the military, American military, I think he was a Marine, Oh, I can't remember his name, but he, he lost his leg um, through an IED incident in, I think, Iraq or Afghanistan, one of the two. And I think his was, I think he's around about the knee. And he was going through his house uh, talking about all his different legs. And I didn't realize that the, when especially when it happened to him, I think, 
in the past, the technology also was was a bit limited. So, and he was just saying like he would have a, a leg for this and a leg for that, and then he'd have to change it for this. And I didn't realize actually how complicated it is. Obviously, if you aren't someone who wears a prosthetic leg, you don't realize that it's depending on the function you need to change leg. And the main reason actually why I watched his video was to see his swimming leg because I wanted to actually ask you about swimming legs and uh, if they actually are legal in swimming events for disabled people because obviously you get runners who use blades and it would be interesting to find out what would be the justification for allowing runners to use blades but not to allow swimmers to use legs. So I think... I mean, it, obviously, at the time that this was a whole discussion within runners, because I mean, it's the first time that anything like that happened. Um, and specifically, a disabled athlete running against an able-bodied athlete. Um, yes. You know, I think on land, and a disabled athlete wouldn't be able to run without a prosthesis. Yes. Um, and I think for that, it was quite a challenging topic. Um, and obviously went to court and there was a whole court case around it. But other than that, you know, in swimming, um, for me to, to swim with other able-bodied athletes, um, I swam with no prosthesis. Um, I, at one stage, um, I had a flipper, a kind of a flipper that was created for me um, and made for me that went on the end of my stump um, so that if we were doing kicking, I could use the flipper and try and keep up with everybody, you know. Um, in the end, I I was managed to keep up with one leg. But I think what I realized was that I actually don't have the weight on the one side and I also don't have the strength. So okay. it was really a lot easier to not use it than to use it. Um, and I think that was just the kind of where I was and how I was at that particular time and where the prosthetics are. Um, you know, you're not going to go in water with metal because it will just make you sink. Um, and, and water, you know, water is about movement of water makes you, propels you forwards, right? So yes. I think for, for brain power to try and kick, um, uh, where one is a lot smaller and cannot put, you know, kick as hard or kick as much water, um, as the other, it's probably easier just to use the one. So I stopped training with that flipper, but it was, it was great to experience it, I think. Um, okay. And yeah, I think in in swimming, I raced um, able against the able-bodied athletes without it, um, and qualified for the Olympics without anything. So, um, you know, I think it would need some would it would take someone to come about and and you know say that and pretty much like in in the running, um, in order to swim, I can swim with this. It doesn't give me the advantages or disadvantages, etc. Um, but yes, for me, it just didn't make sense, um, in right. training, let alone in competing. Um, and yeah, I, I just didn't want to go there because I, I didn't need to, I guess. Um, you know, I think in life, it's always about, there's always a start to something and, you know, someone is going to come along and, and question it, um, and challenge the situation as well. Um, yeah, I just, I just didn't need to. Um, I was just fortunate that, um, because I'm a distance swimmer, I was able to keep up with the able-bodied athletes. And, um, you know, at World Championships, um, I actually placed fourth in the world to be able to qualify for the able-bodied Olympics. So that was Beijing, um, right? Yes, yes. So we had our World Championships 
um, a little earlier that year. And in in open water swimming, so open water is a 10 kilometer race, is the Olympic race. It's two hours of swimming. And it is swimming around a course. Um, usually it's four laps of two and a half kilometers. Um, it includes feeding if you need to feed. So there's like a, um, a fishing rod <laughs> um, <laughs> or, or a pole that you would, you know, put a creepy crawly on um, to clean the swimming pool, for example. Yes. Um, one of those. And on the end, you put sort of bicycle rack that you would put your water bottle in um, if you're cycling. Um, and you put a bottle of juice or whatever it is in it. So when you come around, you give yourself some electrolytes because the water can be really hot, really cold. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's known as the marathon of sport. So and it takes probably pretty much as long as a, a running marathon takes. So um, I, I went to World Championships. So it was probably the, the second time ever that I was from a 10 kilometers. And it was very nerve wracking. Um, you know, I didn't really know my competitors, etc. And the race, you dive off what we call a pontoon. So it was a whole lot of plastic pieces put together. And I just... Um, so the last minute, you know, go from sitting to standing and the gun goes off. And I was just really fortunate that, you know, within that race, I managed to, to be in the top 10 because in open water, you qualify for your country, but you have to be top 25 in the world. Okay. And in South Africa, South Africa said that we had to be top 10 in the world, otherwise we wouldn't qualify. So um, I placed fourth. And with that, I, I qualified for the Olympic Games. So, um, you know, I was very fortunate um, that I could and, and I was able to do that. I wanted to quickly go back on something you said that you said um, being a distance swimmer, it was it enabled you to, to qualify. Is it because the distance, something about the distance cancels out some of the advantage of able-bodied swimmers? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I have no idea. You know, um, throughout my career, I've had people say to me that I'm now a lot lighter because I lost half my leg. Um, and so that's why I could swim faster. Um, I didn't, I, I swam faster in freestyle, but not any of the other strokes um well let's put it this way that's that's not entirely true so um (laughs) i have a distance swimmer but in the para events there's only sprinting events so there's only 50 meters and 100 meters and the longest distance is 400 meters um and the breaststroke for example and butterfly i i swam a 106 for 100 meter butterfly whereas um i was swimming a 104 when i had two legs um breaststroke I mean, I, I couldn't compare. Freestyle, there, there has never been a 10-kilometer event. So, um, you know, who knows where I would have been if I had two legs? I, I wouldn't know. Um, yeah. But I swam faster without a leg when, you know, in the 800 meters. But bearing in mind, I was a lot older and bearing in mind, I was training a lot more. Okay. Um, and I think in sport, sport, they, you know, scientists say that um, ultimately it is, dependent on dependent on how um how many hours you put in um how old you are so it's it's the experience it's the um you know the training and everything all has to culminate for you to peak and the muscle mass and all that stuff as well i'm sure sure. absolutely so 24 was when i peaked um and i think that 
scientifically that's kind of been proven. So I don't think it had advantages or disadvantages with regards to um, sport, you know. Okay, interesting. I've lost you there for a second, but I'm sure you'll be back. Okay, I, I think my... I can hear you. I okay, think my perfect. AirPods are, my one AirPod has died. So at the time, <laughs> <laughs> oh my word, I'm going to have no to just problem. change over. You sound good on my side. I'll tell you what, I'm going to use the one and charge the one so long. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good idea. Perfect. Now we're thinking. <laughs> problem solving. Um, I wanted to ask you some questions about the 2008 Olympics because that's obviously... I mean, must be one of the, if not the highlight, one of the biggest highlights of your career. And I actually, I'm not sure if someone's asked you this before. Um, I was made aware that there was another woman at the 2008 Olympics who was also competing against able-bodied athletes. Do you know who that woman was? Absolutely. So, okay. um, you know, qualifying for the Olympic Games, um, I was... I was the open water swimmer, um, and yeah, you know, I think I've I've often been asked, um, you know, did did my competitors swim a lot slower because they knew I only had one leg, etc. Um, and I know a lot of the time I always say I hope they didn't, um, you know, and that that it was really, um, you know, the race is is to race because that's kind of what I had in my head, um, and and getting out to Beijing in in two thousand and eight, um, I was. I, I had a lot of media, I had a lot of, um, we attended a lot of events and there was another girl by the name of Natalia Parteka. Yes. Um, and she's a table tennis player. Yes, um, that's the one. And yes, so I, I believe she's been to, I think she went to London as well, um, or she didn't go to London, but she went to Rio. So um, yes, we, I actually met her and we did a lot of events together and functions together. Um, she's an arm amputee. Yes, I think she was below her below her elbow, um, and yes, I guess namesakes as well. But um, how strange yeah, think, is that? Eh? <laughs> yeah, but I think you know it was really interesting, and and, and obviously speaking to her. But um, and you know, for us it was, I, I you know she qualified on on merit as well. Um, so you know qualified on um, on her country standards to get there. Um, so you don't, you know, as a disabled athlete, you don't get to qualify any differently to, to an able-bodied person and you have to meet the criteria. Um, so yes, it was actually really cool. Um, and as I said, it was, it was great to, to get to meet her, but also to do so much with her. Um, and I think she went on, I think she fell out before she got to the semifinals, but, um, you know, great experience. And, and I mean, she's a great athlete as well. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I wanted to also find out from you, you, am I right in saying that you were the flag bearer at the Olympics? Um, yes. Yeah, so again, very fortunate. Um, I was the flag bearer for the opening ceremony at the Olympic Games as well as the Paralympic Games yes. in Beijing. I believe you were the first person to actually do both in the same year, the same calendar year. So, did, yeah. I mean, how does that happen? Is, is that, do you put your name forward or does your country um, come come after you and say, look, we, we think you're the perfect person to represent us? How does that whole process work? So, 
I think, um, you know, I, I throughout again, I always say throughout my life um, seems to be the phrase, but I've, I've been very fortunate to, um, I, I guess that's also something I say a lot, but very fortunate um, because it's it's how I see it, you know. Um, I, I believe that for the Olympic Games, they had a a uh, competition running that you could vote for your flag bearer. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day for the Paralympics, I think my name was chosen. Um, often, you know, and, and as an athlete, what I experienced was they try and look at like leaders within the team or, All right. um, you know, those that have achieved um, previously or those that have been to a number of games. So there's different criteria that that often teams look at, I guess. Okay, um, makes sense. And so I was just fortunate, you know, I was asked if I'd carry the flag and, you know, you say yes and you have the opportunity. Um, I, I For the Olympic Games, I had a bit of a streaker that was running towards me. So you'll notice the <laughs> camera goes off really quickly when they announced Team South Africa. But um, it was it was a nerve wracking experience because you walk out in front of a crowd of millions on TV and in the stands, so not just in the stands, um, but you know, it's you've got to walk on um, in Beijing. It was a field that was covered up by a whole lot of wooden planks um, or like wooden board, if you can put it that way, so that yes. it saves the athletics track because yes, it's trying on to the protect athletics the track. trying to protect the thing, yeah, the track. and it's very uneven. So you're trying to walk with this flag that's swaying in the wind. It's really heavy. Um, you've got to hold it. A certain way um, and a certain you know gap in front of your team and you know you've got to smile and and try and walk without tripping um, <laughs> so I think you know it was it was an amazing experience to hear the crowds you know going wild in the stadium um, it is also you know you know that that's that's it that's the start of the games so um, amazing experiences that again you know one doesn't ask for it's you know, a lot of people put your name forward or, you know, they believe that that you should be doing, you know, carrying a flag or winning an award or whatever it is. Um, so, yes, I always say that I've been very fortunate throughout my career and throughout my life. Okay. And it's so interesting because I spoke to a cricketer a couple of weeks ago. He played domestic cricket in South Africa. And he also mentioned numerous times about how fortunate he's been um, because he was he was born in in poverty so he grew up in the township and then he was spotted by someone playing cricket in the townships and then got an opportunity to get a full scholarship to go to a private school and from there doors just seemed to open up in front of him for the for the rest of his life up until now and or even up, up until now and so I just said to him look do you think your interpretation of it, do you think that it's just blind luck that these things happen? Because I've been I've been having a bit of a second thought about luck and what I think luck really is. And I've been listening to a lot of I think I think they're called like luck scientists. They study how luck works at universities and basically they say that to a certain extent you control your luck because for example, someone who's an athlete if you train really hard and you do the right steps, 
you can open up doors that other people wouldn't otherwise open up. So what looks like luck to you is actually just happening as a process of what you're doing to enable that luck, if that makes sense. So did you feel that it was just blind luck or do you think there's something that you're doing that's creating the luck in front of you? Sure. Um, I, I, I must admit, I, I don't know if I truly believe in luck. I think I like to know that there is something like that, um, and I like living in a in a in a different world. But I think um, I I worked really hard. I I wasn't the most talented swimmer that you'll get. Um, I trained extremely hard. I I lost a lot of friends because of how I trained. Um, you know, my mom often tells the story how. Growing up, um, my coach would need to leave training early um, to go and teach stretching. And the minute he leaves, he would give the squad a set to do. And they would all get out the pool and I would stay in there. Um, you know, my brother would complain bitterly because he wants to get to school. But I was <laughs> finishing the set, come the hollow high water. Um, excuse the pun. But um, I think from that perspective, you know, it was a lot of hard work Um I also believe in opportunity and I'm sure in my life many opportunities came by and I didn't see them. Um, I always knew that in swimming I had to be far better than anyone to be able to qualify for events. So I always worked extremely hard at, you know, being tons of seconds ahead. Um, and I guess I'm fortunate that, that, was, that I was able to do that as well. So maybe that's where the lucky part comes in. Um, and there are many times where I have failed, um, and you know, luck isn't on your side. But I think it's it's about how you get through that. And often it's not always about I can or I can't. It's you know what I'm going to switch it off until I can deal with it. Okay. And through that, you come around and you get an opportunity. And so, for example, one of the opportunities is to meet a manager that I had. And with this manager, she made sure that our goal was to get to the Olympics and be it training, be it um, politics, be it trying to find funny funds and um, sponsorships. Um, we would do everything in our power to try and try and get it. And I think a lot of people that you, you, you have in your path um, or that are there for you often help you along the journey as well. And so I like to see it more as opportunities and yes. finding those opportunities and actually taking them, not being yeah. too scared to take them. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people question it too much. And so the opportunity comes and goes often. And I've done it myself. Um, opportunity comes and you think, no, but I'm not good enough. No, but there's no ways that I can do that. No, but that's not possible. And it goes. And you don't always get too many opportunities. So it's to try and take those opportunities when you can. Um, yes. I, I, I see my sporting career as I just had the perfect coach when I was young and I had the, the perfect coach when I was older because as I became more mature, I needed to do more training. And um, yes, he was really hard on us. Uh, he didn't need to be so hard, but you know, maybe that stood me in good stead. Um, you know, from my manager to my family to school to you know, I, I know we chatted before this about university and 
I had a really bad experience at university and to this day I wish that I had finished my degree because nowadays as much as you need experience you also need a degree to get a job yeah. um, and without the paperwork often it's extremely difficult because if you're applying for a job they want the paperwork um, and so you know at the age of 38 I I now need to try and find the paperwork or you know to to study it and to get it um, yeah. and I think you know, so there's certain things that you grab opportunities, and there's certain opportunities that I let go. Um, you know, I know I briefly chatted about having a scholarship, and you know, just I I got so busy trying to to serve on commissions and in a job, and you know, I lost my scholarship, and with that, you know, I became petrified of studying. And again, you know, how many opportunities have come and gone where I could have had my my degree? Um, and I've just been too petrified. Um, and so, you know, moving challenging. So I think from that perspective, you know, it's it's grabbing those opportunities, not letting them go. It's also being able to recognize them. Yes. Um, often we don't see them. We don't recognize them. I think yeah. a little bit of luck in there. Um, I like to think so. With I like, you know, often if I wish people like I put the four-leaf clover, um, and, you know, so that the person also feels lucky. Um, yes. And often it's the person feels like it is possible. Um, and I think that's kind of what it's down to, that it, you are capable. It is possible, um, you know, if you really want to. So, yes, I think a, a bit of everything. Okay. Perfect. And, yeah, that's, that's so interesting because I, I don't know about you, but I do a ton of reading I just love reading. I, I used to read a lot as a kid and then I stopped reading when I got into high school. I think partly because it just wasn't the cool thing to do and partly I was also just very busy. I played a lot of sport and I was very focused on my academics. Um, but I picked it up again in the last, oh, what is it now, four years. I've really picked up reading and just read a lot around success and things like that and a lot of what you mentioned there is a lot of what successful people would talk about. It's you obviously have to have the desire and then you have to have the belief and you have to have the perseverance and the hard work and opportunity um, often actually comes just after failure or it's cloaked as defeat. So I think that's almost directly from Napoleon Hill's book, Thinking Grow Rich. He talks about how opportunity is often hidden behind defeat and that that's why so many so many people miss it because they'll they'll lose and then they walk away when actually if you just look for the opportunity just behind that loss you have a space to grow into it's very important to, to i think to have an open mind in situations like that because if you don't you then miss out on opportunities that you otherwise could have seen absolutely and, and i 100 percent agree i think with hard work and perseverance, if you have those two, I think, you know, um, being positive, um, I'm probably one of the most negative people you'll ever come across. Really? Um, to a point that my negative and negative makes me positive. Um, <laughs> and, and really, it's true. Um, and I think, you know, I learned, I think I learned a mechanism where I can shut it off completely. So I just don't think of an emotion. Um, okay. I can, you know, you just, 
And and I think that's where it's been really positive to have the people around me that have been that person that can be that positive. Um, and often that was the case, you know. Um, I, I, at one stage, didn't believe that I could go to the Olympics or ever qualify for the Olympics. And I, I remember having a conversation with my manager and she said to me, you either want to or you don't. And um, <laughs> I think that's a harsh way. Um, yeah. But you kind of sit there and you think, sure, after 24 years, like, this is my one shot. This is my only time that I have to do this. Um, I've trained, I have pretty much three months to go and I can't give up now, I guess. And that's kind of where, you know, the maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should. No, I'm not good enough. No, it will never work. Um, you know, if I tell you our, our trials was in Seville, um, in a, in a river, um, and, um, our luggage got lost the night before we had oh, arrived terrible. the day before our luggage was lost. Um, we woke up at a crazy hour because our luggage arrived. Um, and I had the most perfect race ever. Um, when I fed, I had no hitches. I had no one hitting me, punching me. I just, I moved up into top 10 at the right time. It was just the perfect race. And I cannot even explain how it happened. Um, I just raced. I thought I concentrated and, and I managed to do it. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, without the hard work and the perseverance, if you've got that in your back pocket, I think the other two or the other three, um, it is possible for others to, to take that spot when you need okay. it the most um, yeah. and when you're down. So you, you mentioned, uh, what were the other three that you mentioned? Um, opportunity was one. Opportunity, actually, des desire, being positive. Desire, yeah. And I think I said, oh, what did I say? Um, I think, I think being, open, three, right? being open minded as well. Yeah. And then, oh, I said having self belief. Having self belief. Yeah. So there were many times I didn't believe in myself, but my team believed in me. And, you know, at the end of the day, when everybody said I was disabled and I shouldn't be competing able bodied, um, I was at the world championships. I, I qualified. I was made sure that I was there. And I think that's the belief that people have in you that often can take the place when you don't have it. Because a lot of the time in sport, there's a lot of bias. And with bias, it makes you feel like you're not worth it, that you shouldn't really be there. Um, and I think, you know, throughout my, I was disabled and I had a lot of people saying to me, I shouldn't be competing able-bodied because I'm taking the spot of someone else. And competing disabled, everybody said, I'm too good to compete for disabled, so why am I there? I shouldn't be competing as disabled. That's, and That's very tough. People label you. People put you in boxes. Um, and you have to have that team that supports you. So that group that believed, um, the group that was positive, um, and, and I, I often believe that it's not always, it wasn't always about me because that team brought all that together. Um, okay. I wasn't all of that at one point in time. I, okay. I had a lot of self-doubt, but, you know, some my manager, my family, my coach, they all believed in me when I didn't. And I think okay. as much as you have the hard work behind you, you can get into the water and you can you can race because you've put that hard work in. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, I, I was, my manager always used to take, make sure that my leg was from the start to the finish because it used to bother me. Um, when I qualified, I waited 
I think about an hour for my leg to come through because they refused to bring my leg through because they didn't believe there was a disabled person that swam. Um, And, you know, it's, it's small things that add up, but at the end of the day, you know, my manager, I knew my manager had it and I, I didn't have to worry too much about it because I knew she would get through somehow. Um, And I think that also takes a lot of the pressure. So I don't believe you need all of it. Yes, you will have some part of it at some point in time, but there are certain ones, certain times when you won't have it all, and that's okay. Because as long as you have a group that has some of that, um, they can fill in. Yeah. And I guess you can't be, as an athlete, I mean, I've played, again, just want to reiterate, Natalie's definitely competed at a higher level than me, but I've competed at levels enough to know that some days it just clicks and some days it doesn't and that's okay. Like you're not going to, you're not going to be perfect every single time you jump in the pool or run into the field. And I guess being comfortable with that and and knowing that those, those moments of perfection or those moments where you feel completely in the zone, they do come and go and you, you got to, and then when they do come, you've really got to maximize it because when it goes, you can lose form and things like that. Um, very, very quickly. So, yeah, it's well, important to, to maximize it. I think, I think that's why they always say that your worst must always be better than someone else's best. Yes. Um, and, I love and that. I think that's that, that saying is, yeah, that saying's really true. I, I, look, I don't know who said it and I don't know the form of it, but in my head, that's, that's kind of how I put it. But, um, I think that's important, you know, because that's how I always tried to work was that, you know, I guess as a team, you're always as strong as your weakest link um, and similar, similar principles. So how do you, how do you strengthen the weakest link um, in a team? How do you make sure that you're good at, at everything? Um, and it takes practice and it takes time and it takes a lot of thought. Um, in swimming, it was I couldn't pick up speed at the same pace that everybody else picked up speed, which meant that I had to sprint from before everybody started sprinting so that I could be right in front and only lose a few positions because I couldn't sprint as as quickly as they. But I trained an hour more than everybody so that I was fitter, so that I was, you know, at more at my peak and I could sprint for more than what they could sprint. Um, and, and I think that was recognizing the challenges and then re- recognizing how I could possibly overcome that. And that's not something that I could have done. You know, that was my coach. That was my friend, you know, my, my circle that we worked at that. Yeah. And so that was working on my strengths and not on my weaknesses. Um, you know, we spoke about a prosthetic leg earlier and swimming with a prosthetic leg. That was a weakness for me because I didn't know how to do that. And for me to focus on learning how to do that at a time when, you know, I'd be retiring wasn't the, the smartest thing for me, well, in, in my mind anyway. Yeah. So I chose not to. And I think, you know, that's that's the opportunities you take. You either choose yes or choose no. And when you choose yes or no, you have to believe that that's the right decision for you. Um, because if you don't, you'll always have that doubt. And there will yeah. always be some form of doubt. And doubts can creep in really easily. So it's it's how do you become the best at your worst. Yeah. There's a very good book um, by Stephen Pressfield, and he wrote a book about 
what he calls in his term, it's called resistance. And he writes from a creative's point of view. So he's a, obviously an author. So, you know, things like writing writer's block and things like that and how to overcome it. And he always talks about how humans, we often experience intense resistance when we're about to break through or when we're about to undergo a very important change. And some of it is fear. Some of it is uh, sort of the imposter syndrome, not believing that, that you deserve what you're about to achieve and things like that. So I think it's also important to realize, I know I've done this. I've, I've, when I've about to be successful in something, I almost, the self doubt creeps in and I start asking myself questions and imposter syndrome seems very much of what you're describing as well. So yeah, just, I think it's important to hear from people like yourself that it's normal. It happens to all of us and it's okay. And you just got to actually just keep pushing. And I think that's the difference between those that do and those that don't achieve great things is that you have to have that little bit of grit to push through those difficult times. I'm hundred percent with you. And I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, we all, I believe we all view success in different ways. Um, you know, to me, to me in my career would have been the pinnacle, which would be to go to the Olympic games. However, in my journey there, I said that I will work. My, I will know I couldn't do, I couldn't train harder. And I know that I couldn't put any more time or effort into it. So with all those three, I would retire happily knowing that I would never achieve my goal of going to the Olympics. And I think that was something that, that I believed in. Um, to the next person, success might just literally be getting a job. Um, it might be helping the person next door. And I think defining the word success and defining what it is you want to achieve is really important. And it gives purpose. It gives you something to drive for and a, a purpose to live for. And it doesn't matter how small or how big that purpose is. You know, learning how to run. I can't tell you how many people laughed at me learning how to run because um, I had literally forgotten how one's legs should move. Um <laughs> And I literally took my mom's hand and I said, okay, run next to me so that I can feel how you're running. Um, and it took a while and I looked like a complete idiot. Um, but slowly but surely you learn. And I think that's, for me, success was being able to put on a prosthesis and to be able to run a few meters faster than what I could do walking and get that feeling again that I could go faster than a specific speed. And that was what success was for me. And that's after 22 years or 21 years. So I think ultimately, you know, it's you defining what success is. It's not always about the Olympic Games. It's not always about being the A-time player. But it is about having a holistic lifestyle or having a, you know, a sporty, you know, being sporty and keeping my weight down. And, um, you know, I think from that perspective, um, what is it that is success for me at the end of it. Um, and you you mark yourself on, on what your definition is rather than what someone else has achieved. Um, and then you work on your hard work and your perseverance and all that. 
based on what it is you want to achieve and what success means to you. 100%. I 100% agree with that because I think the starting point is you have to have definite definite goals and definite purpose because if you don't, it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think. I might be misquoting him, but I'm going to paraphrase. He always has that quote about, I mean, you can have a plane and you can have a captain, but if the captain isn't given a destination, it doesn't matter that you have the other two ingredients, but if you don't have a bearing or a heading, you're, you're pretty screwed because you, you don't know where you're going. So you have to know where you're going in order to get there. So I think that's a very good point that you made there. You have to have an idea of what you want. And geez, for me, for the longest time, that was such a difficult thing to to grapple with. I, up until, I would say, probably two years ago, I had no real definite purpose. And it's tough. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person that, that deals with that kind of thing. So... Yeah, it's a very, I think, a very normal human thing to go through. Absolutely. You know, I think I, I now and um, and I kind of feel like, and I'm going to use this word because I think a lot of people might feel it. And I often feel like just a loser because what am I doing? Um, you know, I, am I even good enough? Am I, you know, I often do documents and I think, Shavit, you know, is this good enough? Is this not good enough? And you talk about the imposter syndrome. Um, and I think as a, as a, you know, a consultant or a freelance or whatever you want to call it, it's sometimes really challenging. Um, but it is, you know, what is it that I can do? What is it that I'm good at? Um, am I really good at this? Um, I don't know. I know that I'm passionate about it. Um, so I think at, there are many points in one's life where you will lose your way a bit and you will question yourself. And I think it's important because as you, you mentioned a little earlier, that often that is time for growth. Um, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone and, and growing. And, um, you know, at one stage, I just thought, sure, things have changed so much in the marketing world. Um, and I'm, I'm not keeping up with it. I, you know, I have to study a little, I have to do some courses, I have to get skills. Um, and I think for me, part of life is, how can I grow me? And it could be reading articles. It could be reading books. Um, a lot of the time you read books and you think, sure, this is how it should work, it, but it doesn't work for me. Um, you know, how do I believe when I, when I don't actually believe? What can I do? Um, and often it's find your passion. It's, you know, go, and go to the beach for the first time because you don't get there. You usually put it off because you're working. And often doing something like that, you come home and you think, wow, I'm so glad I did that. Um, and it's something so small, but it's changing something up. And I think, I guess where I'm going with this is it's okay to to wonder, but you're yeah. going to get through this, you, uh, you know, you're going to get it often. And then you find your way and then you don't find your way again. And that's the constant journey that you go on. And I think that's the important part is go with it, but also find the solution at the end of the tunnel, um, you know, find, find what it is that you, you want to find, um, search for it, grab those opportunities, look for those opportunities. Um, and I think that's, that's what life is about. And that's kind of what keeps me going as well. Epic. I just wanted to 
ask you a couple more things. I see we're up at the hour and a half mark, and I don't want to steal too much of your time. But I wanted to ask you a couple of things around about your accomplishments. So as a swimmer, you, in your category, I mean, your the awards you've won are out of this world. You've basically achieved everything. Um, just some of the highlights that I saw. I mean, I'm probably going to ruin the pronunciation of this. But I see you are, you even were awarded a gold, the gold level of the order of, is it Ikamanga? That's like South South Africa. Is it, how can we describe that to non-South Africans? Is that basically like being knighted in, in European, I mean, in British terms? Yes, that's correct. So in, and and very much like in United, there are different categories in South Africa. There's different categories in, from sport, arts and culture to, you know, fighting, um, um, democracy, um, you know, there are many different um, categories. So um, the order of Ikamanga is sport, arts and culture, and then there's the bronze, the silver and gold. So yes, it, it's united. Um, you know, again, again, you know, it is a presidential award. And again, you know, one is, I say very fortunate again, but, um, you know, I didn't put my name in for it. Someone obviously puts you up for the award or the president puts your name forward. Um, and I think that that's something really special. Um, and yes, so, so you carry it as the three letters after your name. Um, I don't often use it, (laughs) but, but yes. Okay. And then I see you won another, I I thought another great award was the David Dixon Award. You also won the Laureus World Sports Person. Now, was that World Sports Person with a disability or was that, is that the category, the whole category? Yes. So it's it's a person with a disability. Um, Yes. So, so. With Glorious, it was really special because I am an ambassador and I have been for many years, um, uh, I think since 2003. So um, in 2010, well, in 2003, I was actually nominated and I didn't win the award. And then in 2010, when I did win it, it was I, I kind of wore two hats because there's often a lot of projects that happen at the um, Glorious Awards as well as the awards themselves. So being an ambassador and then winning an award was, I think, I, you know, for me, quite quite special. Um, so yes, you know, I, I've I've won a ton of these awards, and um, you know, the David Dixon Award um, was at the Games, it was at the Commonwealth Games, and there was there's a whole um, you know a description of what the award is for. Um, very nerve wracking to go and get because it was pouring with rain, and I had to walk upstairs, and I was scared I was oh, going to wow. slip and. At that stage, I had, I mean, I, I was fresh on a prosthesis. Um, you know, it was, it, I, I went to Commonwealth Games in 2002 when I won it. Um, and I had that, my accident in 2001. So um, it was different territory. Um, even those Commonwealth Games, I qualified for disabled events. And I was fortunate to be able to compete in the 800 meter freestyle as well, which was the able-bodied event. And I made the finals. So I came eighth. And um, I think that was really special for me because, you know, it was a lot of those stepping stones were stepping stones to qualify for the Olympics because it gives you the belief that it might be possible. Um, If at all possible, it might be. 
Um, and I think, you know, you need a few of those in your career to, to keep you moving and keep you going, you know? Um, so yes, you know, there's a, a trail of awards and <laughs> I think, I mean, you mentioned the, the OIG, so yes. you have the three letters and I, I also have an MBE as well. Yes, I heard so. So it's not, yes, it's not knighted, but it's, it's because I'm a foreigner and I'm not British. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, these are awards, but they, I think, you know, often it's, you get to achieve certain things and, I walked away from swimming knowing that I couldn't have walked, I couldn't have swum better times um, and I couldn't have done more. Um, so I'm fortunate I walk away from swimming knowing that I raced every single race possible at the highest level possible for more than 12 years. And, you know, I, it's not that I don't want to swim or I don't like swimming, um, it's just that there was really no money in the sport and ultimately I was swimming for me and after 12 years, you know, it was time to get into business and, and have other dreams and goals and, and work towards those and try and earn a bit of a living so that one day, you know, you can have a house and one day you can have a car. And, um, I think that's in life, a lot of people see you, um, to have certain things to be part of society. And if you don't, you kind of frowned upon or, you, you know, it looks different. So I think, you know, to try and fit into a little bit of society, um, well, that's what I try and do nowadays. But um, I think other than that, you know, as I said, I was fortunate that I swam every event. So 50 free, 100 free, 200 free, 400 free, 800 free, 1500. 5K, 10K, 100 fly, 100 back, 100 breast, 200 IM, um, 400 IM. Um, I swam every race. And and again, you know, I think my team can, you know, they did it. They achieved everything. And and that was the, the positive that you walk away with, um, having ticked all the boxes. That's epic. And would you say the reason why I asked about the awards and all the accomplishments was because – it's not as if you just were an also ran. You won a lot of gold medals and silver medals. And I mean, obviously, at a point, you were at the top of your sport. Now, did you find transitioning back to, I don't want to call it normal life, but to sort of outside of sport, getting off the podiums and all those kinds of things, do you find that difficult? Or were you, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned there that you felt as if you were ready to retire for various reasons. Um, now, was that transition a difficult one for you? Has it been difficult? Is it still difficult? Or do you think it was just the right time and, and you were comfortable in doing so? I think sport-wise, I was, I was comfortable. I was happy. I think one is always sad because you, you remember all the good. Um, I know the day that I retired, was it was at the Olympics. It was at the Paralympics um, in London, my last race. Um, I had been through a lot of politics and I hadn't trained for over a year and I went to the Olympic Paralympics like that. So I didn't do as well as, as I wanted to, but I swam the best that I could. And I remember crying in my last race, but I was ready to retire, but I don't think you're ever ready. Um, you know, what do you do after that? Um, I wanted to, to, to get into involved in genetics, but I had my motorbike accident and then I started doing motivational speaking and I got a few sponsors and to travel and gain experience in sport. Um, 
And so when I retired, I had no idea what it was I was going to do. I also, I think through life in South Africa, a lot of people also just see me as a swimmer. Um, so if you say to them, you know, I work in business and I'm a digital marketer, they're like, but don't you, don't you coach? And, you know, I said, no, I'm definitely not a coach. I think I'd be the most terrible coach you would ever have because I'd be very strict. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of parents would probably take me to court. But, um, and I think, you know, again, it's how we were, we were trained. Um, you know, so um, I think from that perspective, life is challenging because a lot of people expect you to go certain ways. And if you don't, it's kind of seen as, oh, okay. Um, so it's tough to be something else as well. Um, and for someone else to see that you can do something else. Um, yeah, your identity is kind of wrapped into as a swimmer. I, it, that's, that's quite tough to, you want not only for yourself, but also just for society to see you as more than that. Well, yeah. So I think it took a time for me to, to understand how others see me and that I couldn't just move. Um, and that was one of the biggest mistakes I think I made was, I just wanted to move on. I'd had enough politics. I'd had enough challenges that I just wanted to retire and, and move on. And not everybody else had moved on with me. Um, so I, I think, you know, from all of that, I lost out on a lot of that opportunity. And so, um, you know, I stopped for a little while because I had to find me. And, you know, then you come back again and it's it's just challenging. So, I think I went about it in the wrong manner. And I know my team said to me, but, you know, you still swim and still do this and still do that. But I thought that, no, you know, at the end of the day, I was just going to move on and just be this person that I want to be. Um, and it, it didn't really work out like that. But, you know, if you had to ask my mom nowadays, um, if she knows now what she knew then about sport, my mom would say that she would never have let me be a swimmer. Um, wow. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a hard road. Um, you know, I've, I've lost a lot of friends. I've lost, um, you know, I haven't finished my studies, which is something that I'm petrified to do, but I know I need to do, but I'm not sure how, but I know I must. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you know, you, I gave up a lot um, to, to get to where I got to. And I think it's been tough and it's been quite a lonely road. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, at the same time, it's also been my path and it's the path that I chose. And so you kind of have to do the best that you can where you're at the moment and see how you can do better, um, and, and grow. And I think growth is not always about being better at business or being better at something, but growth is about also acceptance and, yeah you know, moving on with knowing that that's the choice that you made and how do you, you know, how do you carry forward or move forward? So, yes, it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> well, yeah, it really, I really, really loved chatting to you. Um, and I think that's probably a perfect place to wrap it up. And, yeah, there's actually so much more we could talk about, but I think we both like to talk, so we'll be here all night if we <laughs> if we keep going. <laughs> No, look, I think, I think, Stacey, I mean, it's been a, an, an amazing conversation. And, you know, I think a lot of the times you try and explain to people that, you know, it's not always rosy. It's not always good. It's not always what you think life is about. But it's about knowing that you make the choice and about knowing that that choice was right for you at that point in time. 
And, you know, whatever roads cross your path, it is to either grab opportunity, not grab opportunity, but to make the best and most success that you want to make for you. Um, and be it through sport, be it through life, whatever it is, is, you know, to live your life the best that you can. Um, yeah. And it's okay to be down. It's okay to be happy. It's okay to go through all of that. As long as at the end of the day, you, you know, you set those goals and you work towards them. And it's okay if sometimes you don't have goals, um, but it's to look for those opportunities to find the goals, to work at the goals, to find more opportunities. Yes. So it's kind of a vicious circle. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right, Natalie, I'm going to stop it there. And then I just want to ask you something um, when, just before we go and just say thank you and all that kind of thing. Cool. I would like to give one final shout out to Natalie for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate her giving up her time to share her story with me. And thank you to the listeners for staying tuned in for this long. If you're still with me, please would you like and share this podcast with your friends and family. I'd really appreciate it. On next week's installment of the show, I have Leanne Purse coming on. She's a former South African rower and we had a really interesting conversation. As someone who doesn't know much about rowing, she explained a few things to me that I found truly fascinating. I hope you tune in for next week for the show. And as always, stay lean.